God did not call you to lose. He did not position you to be less than. He says you are the head and not the tail. He says you are blessed coming in and you are blessed going out. He says that you are more than a conqueror through Christ. All the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see where the mighty right hand of God has delivered His people. The difference between you and me in that situation is we have to identify what is a win. In your life and my life, we're constantly pushing to do something better than we've done it before. But most oftentimes we have to identify what is a success. What is a success personally and what is a success in the kingdom of God? Let's just divide those two. If we start personally, uh, success would be to be born again. That's the number one success that you have to have. If you're not born again, we'll invite you uh, to join our team before service is over. So just stick around. But the first success in your life is to be born again to become a Christian a Christ one if you don't like the word Christian because 15 Christians stabbed you in the back then call it like this a disciple of Christ if you don't like the word disciple call it like this a follower of Jesus but the bottom line is you have to be born again you have to become a new creature in Christ that's the number one personal success that you can have Number two, when Noah built the boat, the, 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 the ark that had all the animals in it, which my kids love to tell the story about the ark, and he let the dove out the window. The dove came back with a stick, and then the, the boat rested on a mountain. He let the people out. Everything that they like to tell, the thing that Noah did is he built the boat, and God said, take you and your family and put them in it. Could you imagine building a boat that you were rescued and all the animals were rescued and you had to watch your family die on the outside? No, thank you. Number two success, personally, is to see your family and your circle of influence born again. These are personal wins in the kingdom of God. They're personal successes. Everything after this is subordinate to those two things because when we deal with life, we're dealing with eternal and we're dealing with earthly or carnal. So earthly and carnal is going to pass away, meaning at some point in time, you're not going to need your iPhone 6 and it doesn't matter how many times they try to sell it to you because it's an earthly or a carnal thing but when it comes to christianity when it comes to the things of god they are eternal so your life will not end when you take your last breath here when you exhale here you inhale the air of heaven and you enter into eternity where there is no beginning and there is no end so it's very important that we dissect earthly carnal and things that are eternal so in god the successes that you have to come into contact with is number one you've got to be born again and you don't want to build a boat without your family in it so you want everybody else born again around you that's the personal side of it now if you talk about the kingdom side of it you try to talk about what jesus was about you got to look at matthew mark luke and john and say what did jesus do what was he interested in can i put it in one word Uh, he was interested in the lost He was interested in people that don't know him. He was interested in people that are not familiar with his teaching, that didn't understand that he's the son of the living God, that he's the the, the lamb of God that would be slain for the sins of the world. And three days later, he would resurrect from the dead, destroying death, hell and the grave and giving us the authority over those three entities. The kingdom of God, a win in the kingdom of God is to see somebody that is not born again, become born again. This is a win to God. 
In your life and in my life, we pray when we go to Dillard's and we pray when we go to Kroger and we do everything we can to try to get us a good parking spot. But the will of God in your life is not just about a parking spot. The will of God in your life is that you become an active, weaponized resource for the kingdom of God that suffers violence and takes ground from the enemy. And if you live here in the Brazos Valley, a win personally, you, your family, your, your circle of influence. A win for the kingdom, everybody you lay eyes on. Who's a target in your life? Everybody you lay eyes on. I don't know if you know my wife, Crystal. She's the sweetest human being I've ever met. I can't believe she married me, to be honest with you. But she's just the kindest, nicest person you would ever meet in the whole wide world. She told me she went to the dentist this week uh, to take the kids to the dentist. And the dentist told him that we, we give them too much candy. And I told the dentist, they're not your kids. Mind your own business. Just kidding. But she takes her, she takes the kids to the dentist. And she's sitting there. And she said this huge cat cowboy walked in with this big 10 gallon hat and she said i don't know if his if his boots were were something but they weren't ropers they were some dead animal skin and she said they really look cool i think you'd like them brian but he came in and he sat down next to me and walker lee came over and they were watching a movie on the on the thing in the middle of the um waiting room walker lee my little buddy and he's sitting there and he comes over and he says to her he says he says uh mom uh there's a bug on tv pushing some crap he's five he's never said that in my presence before and maybe that's common talk at your house but it's not common talk at my house so she says to him she said what did you say she said well this little bug was pushing around some crap he she said, well, what is that? She said, it's what bugs build houses out of. <laughs> so she says to him, she says, well, baby, it's not just what that bugs build a house out of. That's actually it's not necessarily a bad word, but it's not necessarily a nice word for something else. I don't want to say it. But anyway, so she says to him, she says, so from now on, if, if you would not say that word and just say this word. And she said, that as she's saying this to him, that cowboy is sitting over there. She says he's about eight foot tall. So that cowboy is sitting over there and he's going, uh-huh, yeah, that's how I run my house too, just like that. And she's like, she's like, okay, that's real nice. You know, she's being nice or whatever. And she said, he said, I got a boy 16 years old. He said that stuff in front of me. He'd still be in trouble today. And Chris said, well, he's really not in trouble. He didn't, he didn't know what he was saying and everything. And so it goes on. And so they have a five-minute conversation, the kind of conversation you and I have uh, every day at, at Kroger or wherever you are. And she's about to walk out. And she said, as she's walking out, she felt in her heart that she needed to invite that man to church. So she says to him, she says, she, 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 she goes into the, the doctor's office and she says, she's sitting there and all she can think about is inviting him to church, inviting him to church. But, but he's seven foot tall. He's a big old cowboy. She said, she said, I, I don't know. She said, Brian, you'd have walked right up to him. She said, but you know, I'm just a little girl. And you know, I just didn't know. She said, but, but I just figured she, maybe this was his weekend and he'd get saved. I said, okay. She said, I, I went out there, I told the kids, wait right here. She said, I went out there, and he was walking out the door, and I, he was walking down the sidewalk. And she said, hey, excuse me, sir. She had a drop card. If you don't have any of our drop cards, they make it so easy to invite somebody to church, get some on your way out. The greeters will have them. But she said, she said, here's our card. We go to a great church, and, and I think your family would love it. We, we, we just want to invite you to come to our church. And she said, he said, she said, he looked at him, he said, well, I don't know if anybody's ever invited me to church before. But I'll tell you what. 
I'd like to come. And I don't know if he tipped his hat, but I like to think he tipped his hat (laughs) and left. You have to identify what is a win in your life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. We'll put it on the screen for you. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul talking. He says, know ye not, meaning don't you know, they that run in a race, everybody runs. But one receives the prize. Only one wins. And here's what I really want us to get this morning. So run that you may obtain. Run to win. We are in a race against time. Every time you take a breath, every time you exhale, that's one less breath that you're going to take on this side of glory. You've got friends and you've got family that don't know God. You have to identify what is a win when it comes to them. If they are saved and they're born again, but they're getting beat up all the way down the road because of doubt and unbelief or bad doctrine, then a win in your life is to help them develop good sound doctrine. One way to get them good sound doctrine is to get them underneath the anointed teaching of the word of the living God the more of the word of God you get on the inside of you the less effect the world has on you so you have to identify what is a win with the family and friends that you're working on but the truth of the matter is you have to run to win Think about, you remember a guy named Usain Bolt a few years ago in the Olympics? He was so fast from, from Jamaica. I remember one time he set a world record or something and he like smiled at the camera when he was going across the finish line. I mean, he was just that fast. And I'll be honest with you, there's like two million people in Jamaica and, 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 and like the top five fastest people are from Jamaica. So I'm not saying that they're using performance enhancing drugs. I'm just saying that there must be something to running in the sand on the beach or something. But anyway, Usain Bolt, he set a bunch of records and he was so fast, but he ran to win. He ran as if to attain the prize. Now think about it. He can be the fastest human on earth, but if if all five of them are lined up and they're sitting there and the gun goes off, bang, and everybody takes off this way, if Usain Bolt turns around and decides he's going to run this way and have to go all the way around the track to get to the finish line, guess what? He's not going to attain the prize no matter how fast he thinks he is. You've got to run in line with God's will in order to attain the prize. That's why when it comes to your finances, you've got to get in line with his word. You've got to become a tither, not because God needs your money. He uses gold for asphalt. He uses pearls for gates. He's not interested in your finances. He's interested in opening the windows of heaven over your life. So you could be running as hard as you want, but you might be running in the wrong direction. You run to win. And you got to get in line with his will. All the time in our lives, we see opportunities for failure and we see opportunities uh, to, 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 to lose or to, or, to, or to not be as successful as we could be. Well, here's an interesting perspective. Uh, in Christianity, one of the greatest opportunities is simply to follow the leader. In pre-K, you, you, you learned how to follow the leader. I'll never forget. They used to let you be the leader, and then they never wanted you. I guess they were protecting my feelings because they didn't want to say I was the last person in line. They called me the caboose. I'm the caboose. I'm the last, lady. You know, quit lying to me. I know, I know what this means. It means the water fountain's going to be hot when I get there. I know what it means. 
Follow the leader. It's systematic. It's the easiest thing in the world. My kids, I can take all three of them and say, okay, Haley, you're the leader, and they'll play follow the leader all over the yard. The baby even knows how to play follow the leader, and she's still real tiny. So being able to follow the leader is a very important scenario, and the leader of our church is a man named J-E-S-U-S, Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Great I Am, the One who comes the one who left us, the one who's preparing a place for us, and the one who will return again. That's who we follow. So when it comes to Jesus, you got an interesting scenario. you got to come to him by yourself. Meaning this over here is uh, the, the better part of our worship team. Not, not the better like, not as, not, not a better like, I mean like the majority. I don't mean like better than. Well, they're pretty good. <laughs> That, that's, that's, that's the worship team. That, that's, that's part of them. Okay. Here we go. Alright, so here's the deal. The worship team's right here. If I'm Jesus, and I'm sure you guys probably assumed that in the beginning, but if I'm Jesus, if I'm Jesus, you all gotta come to me one at a time. Jesus went to Zacchaeus, said, you come down. I wanna meet you. Nicodemus in the middle of the night met him. Woman at the well, one. You gotta decide to follow Jesus by yourself. But immediately, when you say yes, it's the last instant you'll ever be alone. Not only is he your friend that sticks closer than the brother, not only will he never leave you nor will he forsake you, but you become a member of the body of Christ. And just the way if I cut my arm accidentally when I'm going to fill up the deer feeder and it's bleeding, I can take this hand and I can put a band-aid on it and my body heals my body. You got to come to God by yourself, but the minute you come to him, you're never, ever alone. Jesus showed us the number one way to do this effectively. The very first small group in the New Testament church started with a bunch of cussing and fussing, fussing fishermen and a bunch of other really hard guys as well. And he says, listen to me, boys, we're going to go to the temple and I'm going to teach and I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. But soon and very soon, you and me are going to get side by side and we're going to get alone. And you can ask me any question that you want to ask me and I will revelate these scriptures that I'm telling you. I will open up the scriptures to you. I will tell you what you need to know because out there, it's a big old mean world and we're doing everything we can to take ground from the enemy. But when you get in my small group, boys, I'm going to help you understand everything I'm talking about. When you leave here today, understand small groups is not a fraternity. It's not an idea about people need something to do. How many of you know nobody needs anything else to do in 2014? I'm up to here with things to do. I'm cutting stuff. I'm hesitant to say this, but I might have to cut the Aggie games. <laughs> they keep playing like that. I'm just saying. Was it Johnny football or was it Sumlin? I'm saying it might have been Johnny. <laughs> anyway, okay, back. What I'm trying to say is you've got to get in the place where ministry happens. And in the New Testament church, he took 12 people and change the world forever when you leave here find you a group to sign up with if you don't like it the first group find another group if you don't like it the second group it was probably skip's group find another group 
But this is God's plan. This is where ministry takes place. This is where life goes from life to life more abundant. Jesus designed it. Daniel chapter number three. Daniel chapter number three. Almost done, guys. Daniel chapter number three, beginning in verse number 15 is where we'll start. This is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's three Hebrew young men. And so what happened is there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he built this big gold statue of himself, which is kind of conceited. He built this big gold statue of himself. And, And what he said, he said, whenever there's any music played in all the land, what has to happen is is somebody, everybody who hears the music has to fall down on the ground and worship the golden image of myself because I am a God. This is what Nebuchadnezzar said. So the reason that he did this is because there were some people out to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because just like now, uh, the people who hate God, those who are ruled and reigned by the devil, they not only hate Christians, but they hate Hebrew people. They hate Jews. That's why the Jews are constantly under attack. If you weren't aware of this, the Jews are actually our brothers and our sisters. We are actually grafted in to the family of God, which they are born into, which they'll have to be born again, of course, when uh, they'll be washed in the blood of Jesus, just like you and me are washed in the blood of Jesus. But all through the Bible, we see that Jews were constantly the target of the ungodly and the unrighteous people. So this was nothing new. It was just the continuation of things that took place. So Nebuchadnezzar said, anytime you hear music, you've all got to bow and you all got to worship. So what happened is is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fear God more than they feared a piece of gold. So they said, we're not going to bow whenever we hear the music. So word got back to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar got real mad and he brings them in front of him. Here's what he says. Verse 15. Now, if you're ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, but psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, uh, but it'd be good. Everything will work fine. But if you worship not, you'll be cast immediately or the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Who is that God? You're going to be asked constantly throughout your life. Everything's going to be going good. And then all of a sudden you're going to get a punch in the stomach and the question's going to ring in your ears. Who is the God that will deliver me? You're going to have friends and family that come to you and say, you've been going to church for 500 years. Where is this God who will deliver you? You've been going to church for 25 years. Where is this God who will deliver you? Here's the scenario. I don't know all the time that God's going to show up. All I know is that he's on his way. Most oftentimes in the scripture, we see God shows up right about the time you're ready to quit. Because the minute that you've exhausted your resources, now guess what? He gets the glory. So you don't want to go through life that way. The best way to go through life is in the beginning of your trial, in the beginning of your situation, simply go to God and begin to speak the word of God over your scenario. Then you don't have to exhaust your resources and bite your fingernails until your fingers bleed, but rather you get to constantly testify of the fact that he might not be here today and he might not be here tomorrow, but I assure you he's an on-time God. He said, who is this God that's going to deliver you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said like this. They answered the king. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. I could hear him say that. Oh, Nebi, 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 Nebi. That's the better part of the worship team right there. Better, better, better part, Luke. It's not that funny. Y'all pray for Luke. Come on, somebody. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. That's King James. Here's what they said. Nebuchadnezzar, sir, king, I don't even have to think about my answer. Because before I walked into this palace and before I got to where I could feel the heat of that furnace that you're threatening me with, I have already decided long ago that there is one God who rules heaven and earth and him and only him will I serve and I won't bow to a piece of gold, a tree, or anything else. You want to win in God, you decide before you get there. You want to win in the kingdom of God? You make your decision before you get to the battle. David didn't have to decide if he was willing to fight Goliath. He just had to find out who is that that's cursing God because I'll fight anybody. You make the decision before the battle shows up. Don't meditate about it. Listen, there's things you got to pray about. Should I buy this house, buy that house? Should I quit this job, start this job? Should I do this? Should I not do that? But there's other things you don't even have to think about. And if the devil can get you thinking about it long enough, sooner or later, you're going to make a decision that you won't be proud of in the future. Verse number 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in 16, they said, we're not careful. We don't even need to think about our reply. We're, we know exactly what we're going to do. In verse 17, they said this. They said, if it be so, meaning if you chunk us in the fire, Nib, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Our God can deliver us. Our God can deliver us. When the enemy comes in like a flood, our God can deliver us. When you get a bad report from the school that says your kid's not learning fast enough, our God can deliver us. When the doctor tells you something you weren't expected, our God can deliver us. When the finances aren't looking like they're supposed to, our God can deliver us. When everything around you seems to be caving in, when you're attacked on every single side, when you can't even see which way right from wrong is, up from down is, left from right, our God can deliver Deliver us, and he will. Prayer partners, they believe God can, and he will. Our God can deliver us, and he will. But it doesn't stop there. If he does not, here's the deal. God sees the end from the beginning. In pre-K speak, he sees the caboose from the line leader. He sees the full spectrum. But the Bible says that you and me, we see through a glass darkly. 
Which means we don't always understand everything. And I wish I had a better answer for you than that. But we simply don't understand everything at all times. We don't have it all figured out in every single moment. But God does. So the scenario in your life is not to be committed if God succeeds. Because the reality is, is God will succeed. The way to be committed to God is be committed and say, listen, God can, He will. But if some part of my life I don't understand why I'm not uh, seemingly walking in victory here i have already predetermined that i don't bow to statues or pagan gods i don't bow to anything else you see nebuchadnezzar then got really mad and verse number 19 he said then nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the form of his massage was changed against shadrach meshach and abednego therefore he spake and commanded they should beheat the furnace one uh, seven times more Heat the furnace up seven times hotter, boys. We're about to cook some Hebrews. They won't bow. Maybe they'll burn. He kept screaming. You'll bow or you'll burn. You'll bow or you'll burn. And I can hear those Hebrew boys thinking. We bow, we'll burn. We bow, we'll burn. We, we, we will burn or we'll burn. The Apostle Paul talked like this. He said, I, I don't count any of the trials and tribulations that I went through as anything. I just want to win. For me, winning is to know that my family's saved. For me, winning is to be a part of the kingdom move and be a part of something greater than myself and see the lost saved and a region changed and people healed of, the, healed of sicknesses and diseases. I count all these trials and tribulations as nothing. So, so he says, bow or I'll burn. I feel like if I bow, I'll burn. And I'd rather burn now temporary than risk burning eternal there's really a hell Shadrach Meshach and Abednego said we don't even have to think about this we know what we're going to say to you we're not bowing to nothing no gods no statues not even you you can threaten us all you want, King. That'd be fine. You threaten away. But the God we serve, he can deliver us. And in the name of Jesus, that's how we'd say it today. He will. But if he does not. I'm not bowing to you. I'll bow to him on the other side. Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad, he heats it up seven times. You know, a lot of times in your life, you experience different things and. You think, man, it can't get any worse, and then you really start pushing with your faith and it just gets hotter. You're in good company. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stared at a furnace. Being heated up. Listen to me. With their name on it. So what they did is they took them and they bound them up in chains and stuff and. They threw them in the fire. 
And it was so hot that the guys who were throwing them in the fire caught on fire and burned up and died. After a moment or so, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar looked into the oven, looked into the furnace. 24 says, the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spoke and said to his counselors, the people around him, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They said, yeah, that's who we threw in there, three guys. Didn't we take three guys, tie them up, and throw them in the furnace? They said, yes, king, that's what we did. And verse 25 said, Nebuchadnezzar said, lo, which in this point in time, in 2014, we'll go, hold up, wait a minute. We throw three guys in there, but but what I see is four. I see four guys in the fire, loose and walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not even burn up. They don't have any hurt on them. And listen to me, the fourth one, guys, y'all better get ready for this. He looks like the Son of God. One more story. You might have heard it if you've been to this church long enough. My little boy, Walker Lee, was 18 months old. We were fishing on a pier. We were all fishing. We were catching a lot of fish. I was probably catching more than everybody else. And my little boy, he couldn't reach the handle real good. He was toddling, you know, a little toddler. He come running up to the dock. And he missed the handrail. Into the muddy water. I don't know if you've ever been a parent and you've ever seen your 18-month-old son, the one who carries your name, disappear in muddy water. Everything, nothing, everything just, all you want is your baby at that moment. So I jumped over the side. I hung a fish hook in my hand, and I just... I just reached down. I remember my fingernails. It took a long time to get the mud out of them because I just went as far down as I could and just did like a bear hug grab and pulled him up, and I felt his body. And when I came out of the water, I heard him crying, and it was the best noise I'd ever heard because I kind of figured, well, maybe he didn't take any water and he's okay. So I pull him up, and he cries for a minute. We dry him off, and he's fine. And I took him, and I wrapped him in a towel, and I walked him down to the dock. And I said, whoa, whoa. I said, buddy, you okay? You know, they don't talk much at 18 months. Boys don't. Girls do. And I put him down. And he starts running all over the dock again like nothing happened. Because he found out in the moment of his trial, in the moment of his trouble, daddy would even go to the bottom of the lake for him. Some of you guys have been staring at the furnace and going, God, why do I have to go in the furnace? What do I need to be in the furnace for? What am I going to learn there? And I hear the Spirit of God saying this and saying it real strong. He's saying, because I want you to know I'll meet you there. There is a testimony coming in your situation. There's a testimony coming in the trial you're dealing with. And everybody around you who has been questioning God and cursing God and wondering why do you live for God and why should I live for God? The thing that makes you different is not that you don't endure the flames. The thing that makes you different is our God shows up in the middle. I see four men. And the fourth 
looks like the Son of God. 